and Thayer's means fellowship, association, community, and joint participation. That's what communion means. We are taking communion Saturday night. Let's look at this again. That means what we're taking means that we are fellowshipping, associating, having community with, and jointly participating with Jesus Christ. So I decided that I'm going to label this tonight in the communion of service. The communion of service. And I saw something. Some of you Bible scholars have probably seen this a long time ago and just never told me about it. But I saw something that was I felt interesting. And those of you that are, do have some biblical knowledge, you know that the, the, the Gospels, each Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that each one of them uh, show a different side of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take the time to go into each one, but I will say this. The one that I, I am going to refer to tonight shows Jesus in his deity, which is John. John always showed Jesus in his deity, God. And I got to looking at this, and if you will, um, if you'll turn with me, it'll come up behind. I'm going to go back to Luke in a few moments, but John 13, I'm going to be uh, real pastoral and read it out of my own Bible tonight. John 13, and... Uh, uh, I'm going to start with verse, well, I'm going to start with verse 1. I'm just going to read a lengthy reading. And if you don't, you don't have to stay. If you can, if you want, but I'm going to read lengthy here. But I, wanna, I want you to see this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended. Now, I want you to look at this. The devil having already entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot. At this time, the devil was already there, right in the middle of this. It'd be just like what we're doing on Saturday night. We're all gathered in here. We're getting ready to go downstairs, and men go downstairs, and the devil is there. Now, we're not talking about just any devil. We're talking about the devil, Satan. Now, he doesn't come to churches very often. He's not omnipresent. So you've got to have something going on for Satan to show up. So if we ever get Satan to show up here, we've got something going on. So don't be running out with your hair standing up if Satan shows up. Just be thankful that we've got something going on that he wants to stop. Now, that's what that's saying here. Satan's there. All right, so it said, being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, laid aside the garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash thy feet, your, your, your feet, I'm not, you're not going to have any part with me. You're out. 
Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore saith he, You are not all clean. So after he washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said to them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent, sent him. If you know these things, he said, Happy are you if you do them. If you know them, you're happy if you do them. Now, I'm going to sit down again. I'll come back to, to Luke 22, and I don't want you getting tired on me and falling out. Now, if you look through the other Gospels, you'll not see the story of foot washing. But in this one, you see foot washing before they took communion or Passover, before he changed it. You see it here beforehand. You see, the devil was already present to put evil into the heart of Judas Iscariot. You see this already happening. Now, what this tells me is that the role of service has to be in front of, it has to go ahead of, it has to lead, if you would, any communion that we are going to have with Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. The role of a servant should be the leading factor of any communion that we have with the Lord. Now, I'm not just talking about the foot washing, which just, just gives us a, a, a material, if you would, to, uh, of something to hold on to. We're doing this and it's doing it as an example. But it should be a lifestyle that we have. When Jesus looked at them, he said, he said, you're clean, but not all. It wasn't a matter of them having dirty feet. It wasn't a matter of them walking around in sandals. It was a matter that these men had some other problems in their hearts that they had to be taken care of. They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They didn't know really what was going on. They didn't realize what service really is. And you see, when we Taylor, when we, we participate in the foot washing service, we are going down and we're showing that I am willing to serve. I am willing to bow down at your feet. I'm willing to do this. You see, the true apostolic revival has never touched the United States. You can say what you want. We can go back to 1900. We can do all those things. It's never touched us the way that revival should touch us. And the only way that it will touch us is when we understand the true role of what serving one another really is. It's when we have the ability to serve and not question. When we have the ability to serve and not have any other, any other inclination whatsoever. No, no motive that is unclean. No motive that goes beyond the fact that I just simply want to serve you. No motive that goes beyond the fact that I just love you and I want to do something good for you. And it's not just a group of people that are in this church that I'm talking about. I'm talking about as we serve mankind as a whole. As we, my, my, my wife <coughs> made a statement and she said that, <coughs> and it, it felt good of her to say that to me. 
And her statement was, I want to see men in the church be like you are. And she said, I want to see them talk to people on the street. I want to see them always have something to say to somebody and be in tune and, 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 and not be afraid to say something. You see, I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see an influx of 50 church people here unless they're church by the Baptist. I don't want to see that. I want to see brand new people that causes a lot of grief and bring devils in. You see, we're supposed to be devil chasers. We're not supposed to be devil runners from. We're not supposed to be those that said, and I'm just as guilty as every one of you. I get so tired of fighting devils with new people. But I get tired of fighting devils with old people. So it really comes right down to it. Devils are always going to be around. Isn't that right? It's like Jesus said, the poor is going to be with you always. So will the devils. They're going to be with you always. You know what we're all looking for? I know. I, I, did. I keep thinking, one day the church is going to be perfect. And everybody just come in. We'll all worship. Heaven will fall. Angels will show up. Everybody will be rich, driving new cars, pay their tithes, pay their tithes. You won't have to worry about financial struggles, pay their tithes, give their offerings. Don't have to worry about building fellowship halls, pay their tithes, give offerings. Did I say that? Oh, okay. We're talking about communion here. We're going to commune with God. We'll get it all right, right? Uh-huh. We'll get it all right. You know, I, I think keep thinking that perfect church, but how in the world can you have a perfect church when you've got imperfect people? Is anybody in here perfect? I am the only one that I know of. And the only reason I'm perfect is because I understand that the word means sincere. So I am sincere about it. Not perfect in the way you think. So when you hear Robert say I'm perfect, I'm saying I'm really sincere, and I'm sincere about this. I'm sincerely trying to be perfect, which I know that I'll never really achieve until Jesus changes this vile, nasty old body and gives me a body like unto his glorious body. Then I will be perfect. But until that time, I'm sincerely desiring, I'm sincerely striving, I'm sincerely wanting, I'm sincerely oh, loving, I'm sincerely seeking that place with God that I really want to achieve. Communion. Communion. I walk over here. I take communion after I've come up from down there or here when the ladies and have served. Let me ask you this. I have got somebody coming that's never done foot washing service before. They're from another church. They're going to be here. Why don't you invite somebody? Come on. Now, you want to see us at our worst, see us at foot washing service. Come on. Now, you folks all know that. Don't you just hate that? You say, well, I've got a visitor. I'm going to take them downstairs. And they're, going to, and they're going to see these guys, you know, roll their pants up to their knees and their hairy, nasty legs. Like, showing, hey, like come on. 
But you know what? You might be surprised in how people will respond to something like that. We've had people receive the Holy Ghost in foot washing service. You know, we've had that happen. When you do things the right way in the right spirit and you do it the biblical way, you're not doing anything wrong or anything you need to be embarrassed about. I'm not embarrassed about what we do at church. You see, I'm not embarrassed because I know that in reality people are looking for something that is real, not something fake. All they're looking for, they'll put up with you running, jumping, shouting, having foot washing services if you're real all the time. Is I going to teach on foot washing? Here we go. No, I was going to teach on communion. I think I took on foot washing. Look at Luke 22. Well, I feel good tonight. And I had that nasty old flu. I told my wife, I said, I ought to go to church and share with everybody. She said, probably shouldn't do that. But I just want to serve, you know. <laughs> okay, look at, uh, I decided to read here. Look at Luke 22, 15. <laughs> Excuse me. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. He took bread and he gave thanks and he brake it and he gave it unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance. You do this to remember me. You do this to remember me. Likewise also, the cup after supper, saying, This cup of the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of him that betrayed me is with me on, on this table. Now, i uh, got a lot of things I've taught for years on this. And I'm just going to lightly touch on some things, some other things I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. Number one, communion should never be taken lightly. And that's one reason I made the statement that I did earlier. I think a group of people should be a group of people that serve one another that take communion. Number two, I don't believe that an individual that is not filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost should be taking communion. And if you think I'm old-fashioned... You've not, you don't know me at all. I'm a lightweight now compared to what I was 10 years ago. And there's still a lot of things I hold very near and dear to my heart. And there's some things that I see happening around that I, I think people just that have taken so far out of context is pathetic. I think there are people that, are, that consider themselves apostolic Pentecost that, that have a right to even mention the name. Now that's how I feel about it. But when there are some things that I can tolerate and there are some things I can't. And when it comes to taking communion too lightly, I am one of those that cannot take it. I think that some people, uh, on the other side of it, I think that they're never right with or never feel right with God, and though they never take communion, that's just as wrong. When you have got the Holy Ghost and you have got time to repent and you have got time to take care of things before this Saturday night service, then you should take communion. You should take communion. If you're holding aught in your heart and you can't overcome it, then you shouldn't take communion. 
And if you're holding that much ought in your heart, then you need somewhere to overcome that. And the best way to do that is to find some place and spend about four hours on your face in a carpet somewhere and say, God, I want you to burn this mess out of me so I can do what I need to be because you're going to go to hell if you don't take care of it. Now, that's good preaching. Whereas I'm concerned, the key element here is desire. A person has to have desire to do it. When a person has desire, you can do anything. Through desire, a man that seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom, according to Proverbs 18 and 1. You can do that through desire. A person wants to have revival through desire. God, my desire should join with God's desire. God's desire is not any should perish. So that means that I have got the right to have revival. We've got the right to see people saved. We've got the right to see people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. We have the right. So don't you sit out there and say that the days of revival is over with because the days of revival are not over with. My God, I'm going to get back on this. Mess with me. I'll go out and get 50 of the ugliest people I can find and bring them in here and pray them all 50 of them through just to show you it can be done. And that won't be on my strength because I don't handle ugly people very well. So there you go. I feel mean tonight. Mean tonight. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. I'm going to read it back here behind me. Is it up there? Yeah. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not that you come together not for the better but for the worse. Why? We're talking about the Corinthian church who did have had absolutely no concept. And people take this chapter. Now, number one, they take this chapter and they like to throw out the part about women not cutting their hair. And then they'd like to take this part and say, I can never take communion. Isn't it, isn't it interesting, isn't it? How we take the same chapter and can get two completely different things out of it. From one sentence to the other. I don't believe that, but I believe this. Taking it completely out of context. Now, the part about the hair is pretty straight up. Straight up. A woman cuts her hair. The angels see that she's cutting her hair. And they back off and they say, well, I don't want anything to do with that woman. And so she comes down. She prays. She can't get her prayers answered. She wonders why. Because she's cutting her hair. And you say, my goodness, I'm talking about communion. That's all. You know, you're down here taking communion. You need to be able to, to be obedient to every aspect of the Word of God. That's some good preaching. Thank you. All right, so... In Ephesians 5.27, the Bible says that God will present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, again, we take the 11th chapter, 1 Corinthians. We see the wrong motives when it comes to taking communion. This was the Lord's Supper, communion. They brought from their secreted storehouses, they brought their own booze. This is, the, this is why Paul was having to write this letter to them. They brought their own booze, and they were having what they called love banquets. You've got to remember, pagans are pagans. And some of you still have some of your pagan ways about you. And it's hard for you to overcome those pagan ways. It's hard for all of us to overcome our pagan ways. We were born paganistic. We were born carnal. We'll use carnal because it's biblical language. But pagan sounds better. Okay, so, so you know, you've got that nature. And this is what they did. They had the Holy Ghost, by the way. 
but they just wasn't had not been instructed. They had not been taught, so they were just saying, "Okay, we're going to have we're going to have the Lord's supper." So what do I do? Well, I'll bring my own. So they brought their own food, they brought their own booze, and they got drunk. The Bible says they were drunken. That means they were drunk. They were drunken and they were eating. And so, so what Paul was trying to do was trying to straighten out what this is all about. And he used Luke 22 that I read to you. Um, in fact, now let's, let's, not, let's not go through each one of those. Let's move on. So Paul's telling them that they have the wrong motive. And he goes on in, uh, let's see, let, let me, uh, let's just go on down through verse 21. Take seven, seven, through 17 through 21. Give me 18 right now. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there will be divisions among you, and partly believe it. Now, before, I'm sorry, go back just a moment. I want you to look at something, because I'm going to come back. Look at that word divisions right there. Okay, he said it, there's divisions among you, and he said, I partly believe it. I want you to hang on to that word. Now go to 19. For there must also be heresies among you that which are approved may be made manifest among you. 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. 21. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. Okay, now let's, let's, let's go stop there for a moment. So we see this, and Paul's telling him they have the wrong motive. And, that, and the word taketh before, actually two words, in the Greek means that they brought from their secreted storehouses and drank them or drunken and gorged themselves. And there were some people that came, and they had nothing, and others had plenty. And that's what he was telling them. He said, number one, you're not supposed to be taking it, getting drunk and gorging yourself, but also you've got these love banquets, you've got these heathen religious customs, and, and you've got people who don't have anything. And he said, all this needs to be corrected. All of it has to be corrected. Paul went on to say that when they drink the cup and eat the bread, they show the Lord's death. In verse 26, let's look at that. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. For as often as you do this, you show it until he comes. Now that particular word in the Greek means to proclaim, to declare, to preach, to show, to speak, and to teach. So when you take of communion, when you take of the wine, you are showing or you're proclaiming, or you're preaching the Lord's death until He comes. That is what's happening. So this is symbolic in its form. This is His body and His blood. It does not become the literal blood, nor does the bread become the literal body. It does not. This is taken in symbolic form. You're doing this in remembrance of Him. That's what you're doing. Now, when you take the bread, you take his body. In verse 29, the word discern, and it'll come up behind me, is denoting separation. Separation from worldliness and sin. Jesus was without sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Yet all the sin of the world, same verse, came on that body. The unleavened bread represents a food without life in it. Yeast represents life. I believe in the wine having fermentation or alcohol because yeast represents life. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood, but the bread, the unleavened bread, does not represent life. It is not, there's no yeast in it. 
So for us, that represents that our life should be lived for the inner man. I, 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 want, you to, I want you to follow me just for a second here. When Jesus was on the cross, his body was not broken. It was pierced. But it was not broken. I believe that if there's anything that should shout to the church, because you know I pointed out to you divisions up here. If they should shout to us, it should be what I just told you. That there should be no divisions. Jesus' body was never was a bone broken. It was not broken. The structure of his body was complete. It was torn, but not broken. Are you hearing me? Sometimes we get torn, but we're not broken. What which supports us is still real. We still have the same spirit. We still have the same God. We still have the same desire. We still have the same, oh, come on, a same motive to go forth and to preach the gospel to every creature. So there should be no divisions. That which holds the body together should be something that keeps us together always. Brother Tenney made this statement one time. I wrote it down on this and I thought it was good. He said, we don't always know God's will, but we can never or should never forget His way. You know, sometimes you can get out there and you can go crazy trying to figure out the will of God. You just go ahead and go crazy trying to figure it out. But the one thing you never want to forget, and that's his way. And his way is right here. His way is right there. So when you take bread, you're partaking of his body. Again, and I, I, I made mention the word uh, discern is denoting separation. Again, separation of worldliness and sin. So that's that part. Now, so my life then. Our life should be directed by the inner man. Now, this, this depicts the battle that all of us fight. It, the unleavened bread, is also symbolic of the Passover lamb and the manna which sustained the children of Israel. So the symbolism is there. Uh, Revelations, in the book of Revelations, there are 26 verses where the word lamb is used. 26 verses. Now, these are all in reference to Jesus. Now, when Israel came out of Egypt, they came under the fire, through the water, and they came full of the lamb. Every bit of it. It's the same way with us. We should be full of Jesus Christ. When I take communion, there is, there is a something symbolic that is happening. No, that little bitty piece of bread is not going to make me full. But it lets me know and it lets God know and it lets everybody around me know that I am full of Jesus Christ. And that I have come through the water and I've come under the fire. Now are you hearing me? Just like Israel came out. 26 verses in the book of Revelations depicts Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. If you've forgotten that, you need to remind yourself all over again just who He really is. We need to judge our motives. According to the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, in order to judge ourselves, we need to check our humility. We need to check our pride. We need to check all of this. Now, just for a moment, let's go back and look at the Christians at Corinth. The Christians at Corinth had not broken again all of their pagan customs. There was division in Corinth, uh, chapters 1 through 6, or chapter 1, verse 6. There was pride and selfishness and irreverence in chapters 11, 21 through 22. There was drunkenness in verse 21. And even worse, there was immorality in chapter 5 and 1. And all this needed to be cleaned out. There was incest there. 
Yeah, you, you don't get it. I hope that one day I get to see a true apostolic revival. You've heard me say that. And I'd also like to one day see all of us be able to put things behind us and not bring them up again. Now, including Robertson here, this one in front of you, this guy. Every time something bad happens, it reminds you of something bad that happened last year. Anybody else want to agree with me? Or, am I a little bit stupid? Or uh, Is that okay? Is that all true? Wouldn't you like to put it all behind you? And I, I look at this. I, I guess this, every time I come to this particular passage of Scripture in, in 1 Corinthians 5 and talked about the man, you know, he was committing incest, took his... Um, was his father's wife or something of that nature. I can't remember. What, it, it didn't matter. It was incest. And, um, and then you go back and you go into the third chapter of 2 Corinthians. And you see that, that Paul tells that same church, he said, Now this man has come to you and repented. He said, I want you to take him back in and treat him just like you always did. Now, I know repentance is necessary. That's just like that old thing, you know. I wish someone could explain it to me someday. None of you will be able to, but I'll, just, I'll bring it to you. It's where, where um, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he said, as often as a man repents, he said, you've got to forgive him. And, you know, I always thought that when you repented of something, it means you didn't do it again. So how could you forgive someone if he kept, kept doing the same thing over and over again because he never repented? So that means that poor guy has to do something different. How many bad things can you come up with to do to somebody? I don't know. Just just a thought. Don't you love leaving little thoughts like that? And you go home, you go to bed at night, and you can't sleep trying to think about it. I do that all the time, trying to figure out how that happened. Well, going back to where I was, if this Corinthian church, Paul could straighten out by writing them a letter or try to... and think that somebody was who had committed incest was worth saving, I think maybe we need to rethink a few things. Just a thought. Just a thought. Now the word damnation in verse 29. Let's look at that. Verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation himself. This has stopped a lot of people right here. Discerning, not discerning the Lord's body. Because Okay, now, what is eating unworthily? You know, wh what is that? Now, the, again, verse 20, in the word damnation, that is absolutely terrified uh, some, and they, they're never really able to summon up the courage to obey the dying command of the Lord of taking communion. Now, the word damnation, uh, it, it means judgment. It's what it means. In verse 32, look at verse 32. Verse 32. But when we are judged... We are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Now, keep that up there. Look at this. This is not damnation the way you think of damnation. That means that you come over here and you take communion, and you've not cleaned some things out. Instantly, when you get to the end of the table, there's this big hand comes down out of heaven, grabs you, and there's a big pit that opens up. Whomp! Down you go. Burning in hell for eternity. Forever and ever and ever. That's not what that means. You'll see it here. That means you're chastened. If you go through this line and you take it and you have not cleaned some things out, 
then you go through. Now, nothing instantly is going to happen to you, but you may reach some chastisement. Anybody in here ever been chastened? And those of you that don't understand the word, that means it seems like somebody's behind you just beating the fire out of you. Now, has anybody had that happen? That's better. Okay. All right. Now, so you'll get some chastisement, but you know the reason that you get chastisement is because God, God loves you. Because He doesn't want you to be damned. He loves you enough to chastise you to straighten you out. Some people are constantly chastised because they can't overcome. They keep going and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Sometimes it just pays to get over it, quit it. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've told people before, when, you, when I, I give them any kind of counsel, I said the only counsel I can really give you is out of the Scripture. And the problem with the Scripture just tells you what you need to do. Now, you can go pay somebody $500 an hour, and they can tell you everything but what you need to do. <laughs> you know, and you can pay them for it. You know, that's what counselors really do. They keep you coming back. Now, me, I don't want to see you again, so you come in and say, this is what the Scripture says. Now, go get over it. <laughs> now, the Bible says we are judged. We are chastened by the Lord. Judgment here means, again, chastisement. Chastisement is sent to keep us from being condemned with unbelievers. And, 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 and the Bible says this, but if we, like Israel, harden our hearts when we are chastised, then we will be cast away. It's when we harden ourselves. Uh, unworthy, again, verse 29, Jesus makes us worthy. But when we fail to discern or revere the Lord's body, then we become unworthy to partake in the act. We must recognize the bread and the wine as emblems of the body and his blood. Set apart to show this forth to be dealt with thoughtfully and reverently. We have fellowship with him. We remember his death. We show forth his death until he comes. Remembering him in verses 24 and 25, the Lord's Supper is a special feast of remembrance. There is a, suge a suggestion here that we are prone to forget. That is one of the things we have to, to, to note here. The, the, it lets us know that there's something about humanity that uh, we have a tendency to forget the good things that God has done for us. Uh, I mean, I, I know that I do. Every time bad things start happening to me, you know, I instantly, oh, God, what have I done? What have I done? Forgetting that God just yesterday pulled me out of something. If we could just remember the good and forget the bad. Not in the nature of, oh, when Eve messed up, poor old Adam had him in a headlock, messed him up. Just got us all messed up all the way around. That's the reason we have to have men downstairs because they have to get them away from women because women always get you in trouble. Always. It is a fact of life. It's shown over and over and over again in the Scripture how that if men didn't have to have women around, we would be, we would be in paradise right now. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> and here we are uh, in a strange contrast with the Lord. He always, God always remembers. Matthew, Malachi 3.16 says he has got a book of remembrance. He always remembers. But we have a tendency to forget. He always remembers. He wrote a book of remembrance. Now, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he thinks of our forgetfulness. He remembers that we are prone to forget. When we remember him, when you, when you, please take the time this Saturday when you, when you take communion, take the time.
to remember. And when I say remember, remember everything he's done for you. Also, go back and remember his death. Remember his spotless life, his teaching, his miracles, his resurrection. Also, the covenant that was made through his shed blood, that we enter into that covenant. And when his blood is applied in repentance, water, baptism, in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When we partake of the cup, they should remind us that his shed blood gave us the opportunity to obtain the promises of the covenant. The Hebrews entered into the covenant with God, and when the blood of the heifer was sprinkled upon them, they bound themselves to obedience, and God bound himself to bestow the promise. When we receive the cup, we commemorate the covenant. It is, and I could really get into the cup of the ratification of the covenant, and I won't, I won't take the time to do all that. I don't have it. But in verse 24, Jesus gave thanks, not saying grace over the bread and wine, but giving thanks for what the bread and the wine typify. That's one thing that uh, has always been interesting to me. And, you know, we all do it. And we, we, we pray and we bless our food and we go into some kind of lengthy prayer. But really, Jesus, all he did was just break the bread and gave thanks. He said, thank you, Lord, for this. And that's all that's really necessary. That's all that's necessary. But we like to pray because we like for people to... I like to pray so the food will get cold and everybody will, will uh, give me more to eat, you know, that, that kind of thing. So the bread is a symbol of his body, not actually his body, but a symbol of his body. The flesh was pierced so that we could see God radiating from within and that we might have healing for our bodies. We should give thanks for that. The wine is symbolic of his blood that was shed for the remission of sins. We know that it continually cleanses us from all sin. We should be thankful for this. We should start this new year being thankful, remembering and discerning the purpose of his death. I'm starting this new year not only being thankful but being anticipating and believing what God is going to do. I just I feel good about this year. I, you know, it's been a, it's been last year was a tough year and it ended tough for me. But I believe that this year is going to be better. I think everything. I believe everything has a purpose. Everything has a purpose. Everything that we go through, every bit of suffering that we endure, there is something that is that is hardened, not not in a hard heart, but something that is hardened as far as I'm concerned in resolve. That, you know, God, you've you're done something in me. You've, you've, you've made me uh, more, uh, more sensitive, uh, more sensitive to the needs of people, more spiritual in the sense that I can sense you more than I ever have. And I can say that firsthand, that I can sense the presence of God, I said, greater than I've ever been able to before. And the fact that God has performed miracles in your life, if you've gone through anything and God has touched your life, there's something different and special about all of that because you know that God not has not just done it for somebody overseas or someone else down the road, but He's done it for you as well. So don't think that if you're going through a bad time, don't think that this is just something bad that you've necessarily done. Just remember God is building something inside of you. He's building something that is going to be able to handle what God wants to do in this coming year. Because it's not going to just be a few of us that's going to be necessary. It's going to be all of us. We have got to structure down in this church. We've got these cell groups. And you cell groups, please, I don't care if you get down to one person, don't quit. Don't quit. Continue to do this because God will honor. I've seen God do this throughout every department that we've ever done. It's the person who gets in there and says, I'm going to be a part of this. I'm going to make this happen in the sense I'm going to pray it down. It's not through your strength, but it's through his strength. But it takes a dedicated person to believe God's going to move in that situation. And God will move in that situation if we dedicate ourselves to that. That's all that it, that's all that it takes. All right. 
Um, yeah, I could do this, but I just real quickly, there are three words in the New Testament Greek that means wine. Uh, they are as follows. Sycuria, which sometimes is translated as strong drink, which is highly intoxicating liquor made from grapes, grain, fruit, and honey. Luke one fifteen, John would be great and not drink of Sycuria. Okay, not a strong drink. Oinos, wine derived from grapes, of juice from grapes, but what implies the fact of fermentation could be found in these scriptures in Matthew 9.17. This means wineskin, and it is the word oinos, Mark 2.22, Luke 5.37, Ephesians 5.18, implies drunkenness, same word. It is a mockery to use the fact that real wine is used in communion as an excuse to be drunken. That is what is happening at the church of Corinth. Anytime a person says that's a, it's okay for me to go out and, and get a bottle of some of that cheap Black Panther or whatever it is, you know, Boone's Farm. Every time I think of that, I remember I was in basic training. And they let everybody the last day of basic training get all the booze they wanted and bring upstairs. And so you could only get you couldn't get beer. You could only get wine and hard alcohol. And we had this one guy. He messed up the entire period. of Every time he did something, we had to carry him. And he got some Boone's Farm strawberry. And he was in my room. And he was drinking, and I heard, uh, and then I heard splashing. And I smelled this smell. Needless to say, we got him out, and we drug him through it. I mean, drug him through it, put him in the shower, clothes and all. Then we had to mop that mess up. I've never been the same. The Holy Ghost has saved me. <laughs> so whenever you think of that, I mean, for me to think of someone taking wine to get drunk, that's the first thing that crosses my mind. You know, that's the first thing. This is something that is done in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Not something, some excuse to go out and get drunk. Last word, glucose or glucose, which means sweet wine. Wine that is distilled of its own accord from grapes, which is the sweetest, smoothest mentioned at Pentecost. It was thought that the ancient people had a way of preserving its sweetness. There was a way of preserving, they thought, that they had a way of doing it. That's one thing that's never been proved. I know that some men believe that, uh, and that's fine if you want to, but there again it goes back to the very simple fact that yeast means uh, life and the life of the flesh and the blood. The wine is symbolic of the blood. Hands raised, questions, comments, or complaints? Questions, comments, or complaints? If you've got a complaint, I won't listen to it. If you have a question, I will. If you have a comment, it'll be according to what you're commenting on. Commenting on how good looking I am, we'll talk about it. If you want to comment on how great an order I am, you know, we'll comment on that. But well, come on, anybody, any questions about this? Come on. Nobody. Is it as clear as mud? Good. Clear as mud. Okay. You want me to have a question to see if anybody's listening? How would we do that? Because I always like to pick someone who drops their head. And as soon as I say that, there's about 50 out there that drop their head. I don't like that. Anybody? You know questions? Oh, good. Stand with me. <laughs>